This is an AMI podcast. I'm Jyotha Gupta, and this is the Pulse. Imagine a place where kids could be kids, playing baseball, singing songs by a campfire, falling in love. Camp Jeanette was such a unique opportunity for people with disabilities. It represented a different way of doing things. It was a part of a broader cultural revolution. Camp Jeanette was significant then and now, and telling the story of the campers is a way to record history. Camp Jeanette represented a transformative moment which altered what it meant to be disabled and what disabled people would come to expect from an ableist world. Today we discuss the Netflix original documentary Crip Camp with co-directors James Labret and Nicole Noonan. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI Audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta and I'm very excited to be bringing you this program from home as we are all producing our content remotely at AMI Audio on account of COVID-19 just doing our bit to practice social distancing. I want to remind you that since the news around COVID-19 is so rapidly changing, at AMI Audio, we wanted you to always be informed and have the most up-to-date information. Please head on over to ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. That's ami.ca forward slash COVID-19 for up-to-date information compiled from all of our live programs, The Pulse, Now with Dave Brown, and of course, Kelly and Company. So I hope you'll check that out if you need some resources geared to people with disabilities. Have you ever thought back on your life to a moment which, in retrospect, proved both significant and life-changing? For the people with disabilities who would have attended Camp Jeanette, their experience of the camp would have been one such transformative moment. Now, you might remember that we briefly touched on Camp Jeanette when we spoke to Judy Human on the show a few weeks ago. If you missed that conversation with Judy, it's one that I would highly recommend you check out. It is now available to you as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform. But for today, we turn to the co-creators of a new Netflix documentary. My guests today are James Labret, a filmmaker, sound designer, and disability rights activist, and Nicole Noonan, an Emmy-winning documentary producer and director. They are co-directors of the new Netflix documentary, Crip Camp, which has been executive produced by Higher Ground, Barack Obama, and Michelle Obama's production company. The film is available to stream on Netflix. I would highly recommend it. I watched it the day it came out. And I will also mention that the film is available with closed captioning and audio description, which is really incredible. James and Nicole, welcome to The Pulse. Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here. James, let me start with you. I've mentioned... Camp Jeanette a couple of times without actually talking about what it is, but maybe you could fill us in on what Camp Jeanette was and why it was so important to you as a camper to tell the story of the camp. Well, I, Camp Jeanette was uh, an experience for me, you know, at the age of 15 in which um, it was unlike anything else I had ever experienced. Um, for the first time in my life, I'm there and it's like, 
I'm just a 15-year-old teenager hanging out and having a good time. And, um, you know, I'm meeting a bunch of people that, um, um, you know, who are exceptional folks. And just the whole environment at Camp Jeanette was kind of loose, but not completely unstructured. But, you know, you're in a situation there that you're not infantilized. You're not being uh, scheduled uh, throughout your day. You've got some time to just kind of be yourself and hang out with people. And for me, it was the first time I felt like I was one of the cool kids. Um, and so it, uh, it, 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 it was just, as, um, I think Denise kind of says it was our utopia. You certainly don't quite realize what you're in the middle of when you're 15, but my gosh, as I've looked back at it and then as Nicole and I have worked on this film, you know, it's given me an opportunity to really realize how absolutely unique and life-changing for the better that place was. Nicole, I want to bring you into the conversation. How did you encounter the story of Camp Jeanette? And what is it about the camp itself and that story which might have captured your imagination as a filmmaker? Well, I've been lucky enough to be Jim's colleague for about 15 years now. He's a really brilliant sound designer and sound editor, and I had brought him on my last three feature documentary films. And over time, we started talking more and more about Jim's advocacy around um, inclusion of filmmakers with disabilities in our industry and also, um, you know, the frustrations he was having around sort of the lack of uh, good storytelling um, from from the perspectives of people with disabilities in the media. Um, and, you know, here Jim was seeing hundreds of documentaries and really great documentaries, but not seeing the stories that he wanted to see told. And so eventually he asked me to go out to lunch with him and he pitched me a few ideas um, that he thought I might be interested in directing around disability. And sort of as a throwaway almost at the end of the lunch, he said, but, you know, I really always wanted to see a film made about my camp. And I have to confess that you know, I think camp is one of those things that everyone who went to camp had a very special time there, but I don't know that all of everybody's camps need to be made into a documentary, so perhaps I was a bit skeptical. But then he started describing Jeanette, and I, I realized just in his description of this sort of, you know, hippie utopia where people with disabilities were, um, you know, free to um, express themselves, you know, um, explore their sexuality um, you know, have fun, be like kind of in the full throes of what was going on in 1971, just down the road from Woodstock in terms of music and popular culture. And and um, that I was, Jim was painting a picture in my mind that was a picture I didn't really have of, you know, young people with disabilities being in community. Um, and it made me aware. I, first of all, I really enjoyed hearing about it. It sounded like a blast and like a place I wished that I could have been <laughs> and a group of people I wish I could have been hanging out with but it also just by by recognizing how um, I had no kind of uh, framework in my mind for for um, a story like that or the image of a community like that it made me realize how transformational the story could be in terms of shifting um, how society views people with disabilities and that was exciting and then Jim mentioned that he had a theory that there was a connection from the kind of liberatory experience of the camp through to, you know, this group of people who came out to Berkeley and became involved in the independent living movement and helped um, bring about 
civil rights laws for people with disabilities. And so then that connection became really, really intriguing to me as a filmmaker who's worked a lot with history. And, um, and Jim and I started to explore that together. So much of what you just said, Nicole, I intend to revisit with you and with Jim over the balance of our conversation. But Jim, one of the quotes that leapt out of me fairly early on in the documentary is a moment where we're speaking to one of the camp counselors and they say quite eloquently, I knew about as many disabled people as I knew sumo wrestlers and I just didn't know what to make of a busload of disabled people. Talk to me a little bit, Jim, about the camp counselors and how they demonstrated allyship with the disabled community because these would have been able-bodied people who were spending their summers with you making sure that you had this fulfilling camp experience. Well, I will say that uh, the counselors so many of the counselors kind of came to Camp Jeanette because uh, they had friends that had been there the previous summer. And so, you know, it, it, it wasn't like everybody at camp as counselors and staff had this experience with folks with disabilities. But mm. I, I know for a fact that the staff really wanted to make sure that all of us had a really fulfilling summer, that they wanted to release us from ever feeling like we were a burden or a problem or, you know, that, you know, that you know, never should we ever be, you know, feel embarrassed if, you know, if we needed help for things that really the kind of the ethos of the place was, you know, let us really kind of explore and, and, and experience ourselves as fully as we can. Yeah, that sentiment really came across when, as I mentioned, I spoke to Judy Human on this show and I read her book, Becoming Human. It just came out a while back and she talked about how much the camp meant to her. Nicole, I want to almost throw the same question to you. I want to explore this theme of being an ally. You've just had this opportunity to work on the documentary. It's given you, I think, some insight into uh, disability issues and accessibility. And I am so curious to know how it has changed your practice as a filmmaker. Are you going to be doing things differently when you work on your next film or your next documentary? That's a really good question. I mean, yes, definitely. I mean, uh, it's it's changed me in in many many ways. I mean, of of course, I mean, Jim really had to walk me through <laughs> many things on the project. I remember one of the very first conversations we had about the film. I said I said it's such an inspirational story, and Jim said okay, we're going to have to have this conversation about inspiration porn, you know, and he um, very um, warmly and kindly, but very firmly, you know, um, shared with me a lot of, uh, you know, things that were incredibly important for me to understand in terms of trying to tell the story together and and tell it in a way that really was, um, you know, from the perspective of people with disabilities. And so I think maybe that, of course, there are many, many things about, access and accessibility that I will fold into future projects and, and always be an ally and an advocate for. Um, but I think the thing that was so um, altering for me was to work in, um, to co-direct in an equitable partnership with Jim um, and to see the difference in terms of, I think, you know, from the very beginning, we had this idea that what would be very special is if the story was told by the community for the community and um, 
non-disabled people could watch the film and, and see it and, and, and find their place in it and be challenged and understand it and all of that, but that the interviews would be very intimate. And so, for instance, you know, um, we had Jim sitting by the camera. We kind of tag-teamed the questions and everything, but, um, but people were speaking to Jim and they were speaking to a friend. And and they were speaking from from that perspective that was kind of like inside the community to inside the community. And then when we eventually decided that Jim should be an on-camera presence and we interviewed Jim, we had um, Jim speaking to Denise, um, who's another character in the film, so that Mm -hmm. that never got broken. And it always has this kind of warm inside the community feeling because we we wanted the film, you know, Corbett O'Toole, who's in the film, said that we made we made a love letter um, to the disability community, and that's what we did want it to feel like. Um, and so I think that that um, the experience was so transformational for me in terms of learning about if you're making a film about a community that has an experience that's different from you, um, how having that benefit of the lived experience of a person, um, you know, from that community involved in every single step of the process um, really, really shifts everything about how you tell the story and I think has helped us to present something that, you know, even for people who, who don't have that knowledge or experience just rings like truth, you know, that, that, that was the hope anyway. I'm speaking to James Labrette and Nicole Noonan, the co-directors of Crip Camp, which is now available to stream on Netflix. It's the story of campers who attended Camp Jeanette and the progress that they made in establishing their identities as individuals and as a community of people with disabilities. Jim, I am so eager to get a sense from you about what it was like to be at Camp Jeanette, because as Nicole said, I wish I, I had been there myself. So... This would have been a really interesting moment in history. You've got Woodstock happening, all of these civil rights movements happening. How did those broader cultural forces shape what went on at Camp Jeanette? Well, a, a number of us were really aware of the other social movements that were going on. And um, as Judy uh, Human, who you've interviewed in, this, in the film, said, you know, at night, she'd be in the girls' bunk and talking about why can't we have a movement of our own? And so, you know, witnessing, um, you know, and, and like, um, it, it was almost like a natural thing, but that was kind of a product of the time where people were really ripping apart the status quo and were looking at ways to do things differently and better and questioning everything. Um, so it, it, it was that kind of a of a place that you know between you know the community of disabled folks and the counselors who you know we were hanging out in the bunks together there you know they so we were spending time with them and they were all you know young folks themselves and you know we, we couldn't help but really get a much better sense of what was going on in the outside world and you know hearing things from so many different people like Lionel who you know, came up from the South. I mean, that guy was just an incredible, uh, incredible counselor and was, he, he wanted to make sure we had a really good time all summer. 
And one of the things, uh, Jim, Jim, that you talk about in the documentary and that comes across so clearly in the documentary is the connection between the 504 sit-ins and protests. And I know Judy Human played a really big role in those sit-ins, but the connection between that activism that would go on to, uh, maybe a decade later and Camp Jeanette. So what, for those of us who haven't read the book and for those of us who have as yet to see the documentary, how did Camp Jeanette feed the activism of all of these young disabled people that culminated in the five or four sit-ins? Well, I think that Judy, uh, for me and a lot of other people, was almost the Pied Piper of uh, independent living movement and disability rights movement. And, um, you know, for, for all of us, Judy was, as you'll see in the film, she had prevailed in a lawsuit against the New York City Board of Education for mm-hmm. a, teaching license, a teaching position because she got her license, but they were refusing to give it to her. And for the first time, you know, I could see and other people could see that, oh, my gosh, we could fight back and we wouldn't be just told to just go away or sorry, but that's your lot in life. But that if pressed, um, we could actually start to make tangible changes. So Judy comes out to Berkeley at the request of Ed Roberts uh, to help uh, run the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley. And, you know, word kind of goes back to the folks in New York. Hey, this is a great place to live. You know, you don't have to deal with the snow. The city is relatively flat and and compact. And that uh, if you come out here, we can help you find housing, help you find um, per- personal assistance. And if you qualify, help you get on SSI so that you can um, get some financial support. So... You know, it, it, it's her leadership and, and and her incredible spirit that really made it like a almost a no brainer for us just to say, heck yeah, you know, let's go out and hang out in Berkeley and you know, whether it was really conscious or not, but basically we were recreating our community that we found at first at camp in Berkeley. Nicole, one of the things that you brought up in the first half of our conversation, I want to sort of touch on again here, uh, the language that we use to describe disability. And when we think about the Section 504 protests, some of the language is quite shocking by our standards. Uh, You know, an army of Crips taking over a federal building. Were you startled by the language and the tone of the coverage? Because you would have had to weave together some of these, some of this archival footage, which we see in the film. Did it come as a bit of a shock to you? It did. It definitely did come as a bit of a shock to me. And, you know, I mean, you'll hear that kind of ableism and also, um, I think, sexism, you know, throughout the um, reporting, even by some, you know, very esteemed and good and good reporters. Um, it, it was it was shocking to hear hear the language evolve, and you know we debated should we um, be self conscious about that in terms of how we presented it, or should we let people kind of reckon with it themselves? And as you see, we kind of decided to just sort of let it evolve, let the language evolve organically, but to um, try to give people some grounding in terms of how people in the film talk about themselves, you know, in the language that they use uh, to talk about themselves. Um, that that would be kind of the the true north for people, um, but but definitely you know you, you I think you kind of see through the language, um, you know the evolution of how people are being seen, um, and we were really 
grateful to find an early um, an early uh, piece by McNeil Lehrer that that talked about media representation of people with disabilities at that time, so that we could reference that, but kind of in a um, in an organic way. Um, so I think what we tried to do the the footage from the People's Video Theater of the camp, which was this radical video coalition that visited the camp, is very natural and um, and very. Uh, you know, free form kind of verite filming. And then as we move into the movement part of the piece, you know, you start to see the people who you came to know and love at Camp Jeanette featuring all of this news footage. And you're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, seeing people that you've come to know as friends, you're seeing how they're being seen in the media. And we hoped that that would make people think a lot about how the importance of how, how people are seen or not seen. Mm-hmm. Jim, let me bring you in on this because this point about media representation is of people with disabilities. Uh, the stereotypes, the absence even of people with disabilities is something that you evidently care a lot about. So does the media need to be held accountable in terms of how they portray people with disabilities, the language that is used, the stories that are told, and perhaps more importantly, the stories that are not told? What do you think? Well, I think you're really right that a lot of the responsibility uh, for um, how people with disabilities are treated in society um, is held by the entertainment business, and that if they're perpetuating these old tropes of people who acquire disabilities and would rather be dead, or you're not showing us in everyday life, um, then it's going to be much harder for people to relate to us or to imagine us being um, active members of society. Um, So the, the misrepresentation and the underrepresentation that we've all experienced, you know, know, has resulted really in high unemployment and, um, and real just difficulty, even on a political level to get the kind of support services that people need uh, to live independently in their own homes. And if you're being fed, you know, these messages that people with disabilities are less than or are disposable or, you know, um, or that's just their tough luck, then you're not going to be supporting legislation or programs that uh, make a difference about whether somebody can live in their own home or whether they're going to be relegated to um, a shortened lifespan in a nursing home. I'm speaking to James Labret, and I'm also speaking to Nicole Noonan. They are the co-directors of Crip Camp, which is a, an original Netflix documentary. It's available to stream on Netflix, and it does come with closed captioning as well as audio description. One of the things that I really loved about the documentary, Jim, was talking about your girl, Nancy, and the fact that there was so much romance mm. in the air. And I loved that because I feel that for all the that we've seen change and progress. I, I I think as a person with a disability, frankly, there's still a lot of stigma and a taboo around talking about disability and sexuality. Was that something intentional? Did you want to disrupt the thinking that people might have that people with disabilities are inherently asexual? I think a lot of us really wanted to take this opportunity to really dispel that, uh, that myth of, you know, Neil and Denise, looking at their stories, the Jacobsons, I mean, they, you know, the, their stories about their sexual awakening or 
how they were perceived, you know, uh, by doctors, which caused Denise to lose a perfectly good appendix, are um, incredibly great stories. But it's like this is one of those issues in the or one of these things in the disabled community that is really, uh, I think a lot of us who get an opportunity to speak out is one of those things that we really want people to know about because, you know, I was an average 15 year old. I, my hormones were going um, as strong as anybody else's. And thank God for Camp Jeanette that, you know, I met Nancy and I had an opportunity, you know, to experience my first love. It was, you know, I wasn't going to get that at another summer camp. And so many of those other places, if they saw two campers getting close, they would just separate them because, you know, they didn't want them to have, be disappointed when things didn't work out. Jeanette was a great place. I think that's a beautiful way to end it. Jeanette was a great place, and your documentary is phenomenal. Thank you for sharing it with the world and sharing your story. It it meant a lot to me as a person with, with a disability. So, Nicole and Jim, thank you for being on the program, and thanks for share, for doing all your work. Thank you. That was my conversation with James Labrette and Nicole Noonan, the co-directors of a new Netflix original documentary called Crip Camp. Crip Camp is available for streaming via Netflix, which is a monthly subscription service. And if you go to Netflix, you can find subtitles for their documentary in 29 different languages. It's also audio described in 15 different languages, and there is a described script for available for digital download. So they've done a lot to try and make the program as accessible to the disability community as possible. And I hope you'll go to netflix.ca for more information and put that on your to-watch list during the pandemic. If you missed any of my conversation with James or Nicole and you'd like to get caught up, you can always find this and previous episodes on The Pulse on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I think a show like Crip Camp on Netflix does a couple of things. One, it really speaks to the power and the importance of documentary filmmaking. And it shows us that there is a role for documentary filmmaking in capturing history and telling the stories that don't often get told. But I think it also speaks to the importance of community within the disability movement, that a lot of the friendships and relationships that were formed in Camp Jeanette carried forward and gained momentum over time and allowed people with disabilities at that time and in that space to advocate for rights that we are all the beneficiaries of. So it's a great and thought-provoking documentary and it's really worth a watch. I'd like to thank James Labrech and Nicole Noonan for being my guests today. The Pulse is produced by Enrique Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio, with special thanks going to Paula Deneen, supervisor of AMI-audio technical. If you'd like to get in touch with us, feel free to give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program. Send us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca, or find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, 
Visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.